The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Thank you for that. Let's give these guys a hand for coming up and singing that high part. That's the tough part. I want to ask you a question this morning, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 if you want to turn there in your Bibles. If your job this morning was to introduce Jesus to the world, where would you begin? Now, I'm not talking about to your neighbor or to, uh, to your community or to your family, but to the world. In other words, Jesus is just coming on the scene, and you have to go out, and this is your one shot at telling the world what Jesus would do for them. Uh, what would you include and what would you leave out? I mean, this is your one chance to, to shine the light that is beginning in Bethlehem that's about to be, uh, uh, the, the Savior's about to be born. And, and you have the, uh, the charge from God the Father to present Jesus. So to present Jesus, he definitely would need... Uh, you would need to know the credentials he has. What the, uh, we, we, we've already looked at some of the things in his past, so you have an opportunity. John 21, 25 says, there are so many things, other things that Jesus did. If we were to writ, write them all down by one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could, could, not, could not contain the books that would be written. So, so with that thought, that's what John had. I mean, he had the thought that if we wrote everything down that, that Jesus said, everything that Jesus has done while we was with him in the ministry, I, I guess the world couldn't contain all that was written. So uh, my intent through these last three weeks, and we'll come to an end next week about our Christmas series is, uh, the birth narratives was to really show how the four Gospels introduced Jesus separately and differently uh, so far in the se- uh, this series, we've examined the, the genealogy of the king. That was week one. And we uh, talked about how Matthew introduced Jesus by giving his genealogy. He, he started and he went through all of those processes. And it was his uh, aim to prove that Jesus was in the line of King David. And he had taken the Old Testament and he had said, here's where Jesus fulfills all of these prophecies. So, so he, he gives an introduction of Jesus by going back and showing that he's qualified to be the Messiah. Mark, he, he, he begins his gospel with account of the life of Jesus with one short, profound statement. <clears throat> and it says there in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's, that's how he begins his gospel. Now, you know the four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are uh, the four Gospels that are about the good news of Jesus. That's what those uh, four books record. They record his birth and all his activity or a lot of his activities that he had while he was here on earth. So, so anytime we talk about the Gospels, we talk about those first four books, and that's really uh, takes place and talks about what Jesus uh, did while he was here on earth, part of his ministry, which John says it's not all written because we couldn't contain it all. But Mark begins with that simple statement. In contrast with Matthew, he starts with that genealogy, and he needs 16 verses to announce Jesus as the king uh, and, and to share the, 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 the lineage of Jesus. He needs those verses. In contrast to John, and, and if y'all are guessing, we've been in Matthew, we've been in Mark, uh, and we're going to be in John next week. We're going to look at the, uh, the, the announcement of the birth of the king. But 
uh, we look at that, Luke, he begins with a sentence of, of, of 82 words. That's what Luke does. And he, he, in order to tell the story of Jesus as the Savior of all the world, that's what he includes. And Mark puts it all together in that simple sentence, that 12 words. He takes all of those things. He begins his saying by, In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, or the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in doing those things, he's about to share the foundation of who Jesus Christ is. So he, he just starts out the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here it comes. Here's the beginning of the gospel. Here's the beginning of the gospel that means good news. And Jesus uh, is presented as Christ who came to save men from their sins. He, he came as good news for the world. And, and Mark begins that. So we're going to look at three different ideals this morning. And we're going to move pretty quick. I'm going to try to. And the first is Mark makes it uh, his case by presenting three character witnesses of who Jesus Christ is. So if we would say this morning Christ was on trial to see if he's really the Messiah, we take what Mark has to say and he says, I have three witnesses to support this. And the first witness is John the Baptist. The second is God the Father. And the third, interestingly enough, is Satan. So those three witnesses, and we're going to look at those three different witnesses this morning. The first, the authority of John's message. And that's uh, Mark chapter 1. Uh, verses 2 and 3. Now, we're talking about John the Baptist, not, not the, uh, John the Apostle. So John the Baptist here, it says there in uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, As is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Now, this is who he is. He's the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, and make his path straight. So Mark starts out with this ideal of someone is coming to prepare people for the Messiah. And it says there that it's John the Baptist, and we're skipping some things around. You can go back and fill in the blanks later. But, but what Mark is saying is John the Baptist is sent as a messenger from God. And he sent John the Baptist, and, and his message was based on the authority of God's Word. In fact, this, this coming is foretold, it says, as it is written in the prophets. Now, what John the Baptist is talking about, he's going back to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Remember, I asked you, if you're going to introduce Jesus, what are you going to use? What, what, what parts are you going to take? And you don't have the New Testament at this time. All they have the Old Testament. So, so he goes back to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and this is what he quotes, "...the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God." And then also in Malachi 3.1, and I don't have that scripture listed on our overhead today, but Malachi 3.1 we read, "...behold, I'll send my messenger, and will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come up of his temple." Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. So, of course, Malachi, that's the end of the Old Testament. And these are some of the last words spoken. So I've reminded you this before. It's been over 300 years now since the prophet has spoken. And, and God hadn't spoken uh, uh, now until John the Baptist comes on the scene. And, and John the Baptist comes and he, he fulfills the prophecy about one who's coming. Now, I want you to think about this. What does that word say? It says one who's coming 
And he's in the desert and he's saying, make way, make preparation for the Messiah is coming. So as Mark starts to, to give the credentials of Jesus Christ, he says, hey, remember back in the Old Testament? Now, now these Jews would have known the Old Testament. They would have known everything about the Old Testament. They would have said, remember, there was a prophecy about one coming who's, who's going to be out in the wilderness and he's going to be proclaiming this message. So John has the authority of the Scripture when he spoke, and when he spoke about uh, what, what the word from the from Lord was, what God was, he, he spoke with authority. Now, when I say John, I'm going to talk about John the Baptist all morning. So when I say John, and we're going to look here in verse 4, we're going to look at the aim of John's message. Here's what John the Baptist, this was his message as he came. G, this is verse Verse 4, and this is in Mark chapter 1, verse 4. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. Remission of sin. Now, when we say John the Baptist, that doesn't mean John the Baptist. <laughs> it didn't mean he was a Baptist. But, uh, we had one church, and that one church was the church of Jesus Christ and the the Reformation, when the Reformation came, that's when we ended up with Baptist and, and uh, all of these different denominations, Methodist, and uh, so all of those came later. John simply was called John the Baptist because John come, came baptizing, so that's where he got that idea, John the Baptist. So the baptism John's speaking of, he, he's speaking of something that's more important that we don't readily understand. Now, what I want you to understand is this. The first thing, John is talking to Jews, okay? So Jews were never baptized. Jesus Christ came. He came as the Messiah for the Jews. Well, of course, we know from history the Jews denied him. But So John is here, and he's telling the, the Jews, hey, there's one coming, and you're going to have to be baptized. Now, who was baptism for? If you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew... You had to be baptized. Baptism didn't come around with Jesus Christ. It was before Jesus, but what it was, it was a, it was a time when Gentiles wanted to convert to Judaism. Because they wanted to convert to Judaism, they had to be baptized into this new covenant. Well, think about if you were a Jew and someone came and said, Hey, there's one coming, the Messiah, and you're going to be baptized to be a follower and you're a Jew, what are you going to say? That's not for me. That's for Gentiles. I, I, don't, need to be, I don't need to be baptized. I, I'm already a, a child of the promise. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a lineage from Abraham. Why would I need to be baptized? So, so John come, and he's asking the Jews to, to submit to something they thought were only required of the Gentiles. Now, why am I telling you all this? Remember what the aim of Mark is? He wants to prove to us today that Jesus Christ is Messiah. So John comes, and he's preaching with authority. I think we could spend the rest of our time there just opening our minds up. So he talks about baptism, and what this baptism was, it was symbolic, and we still use that today, uh, and it was a way of washing away the defilement of sin. So Jews, they didn't really identify themselves as sinners. Remember, they thought they were above that. They said, we're from, we're from Abraham, we're Abraham's descendants, we're the promised covenant, and they just didn't see themselves as sinners, so when John came, he called, he called people to repentance. He said, you're going to have to repent. There's one coming who's going to take the sins of the world away. And he pointed them to the Messiah. 
So as he announced these things, he wanted Jews to understand that if, if they're ready for the coming of the Lord and what the, what the message is all about, it's about repentance. And we've talked over and over about repentance and what it means. It means the Jews and us are, are going one direction. We're going in our sinful way and, and the Holy Spirit of God calls us and we repent and we, we go a different direction. We turn around. We have a change of mind about God. We have a change of mind about sin and we have a change of our mind about ourselves and we, we have a direction we're going, and we go in a new direction. So as John comes, and he's preparing the way for Jesus Christ, he tells these Jews, hey, he is coming, and you're going to have to start going a different direction. You're going to have to turn around. So if we really understood what that's talking about, uh, to, to stand before the Jews as a Jew and say, you're lost, and you're a sinner, and you're going to have to turn around and go another direction, they didn't take that very well. Matter of fact, this morning, for us sometimes today, if we look at ourselves, and I'm not talking about necessarily anybody here, but in general, people today, if we look at them and we say, you know what, you're lost, and, and you need a Savior, and, and you're a sinner, what, what do people usually say? Well, who are you to judge me? Who are you to tell me that? I'm a good person. I do this and I do that. And, and I gave to this love offering and I gave to Salvation Army that was ringing the bell. And I've done all of these things. Who are you to say I'm a sinner? Well, that's what John was telling the Jews. Hey, you need to recognize that, that you, you've sinned and you need a Savior. And, and to have that Savior, you need to repent. So that's the first part of John's message is that he came preaching and baptizing for the repentance for the remission of sins. So that's the first part of John. Here's the second thing. This is the attraction of John's message. And this is verse 5 through 8. Then all of the land of Judah and those from Jerusalem (coughs) went out to him, and they were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, and they were confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with leather belt around his waist, he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, I think this is kind of, uh, kind of funny. If, if you were God the Father, you have all wisdom and all knowledge and all understanding, and would you choose someone living in the wilderness, walking around wearing camel's clothes and leather belts and eating camels? I mean, eating, uh, 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 they may eat camel meat too. I don't know. Probably not. I think it was against the law, but uh, eating, uh, eating wild locusts. You ever picked up one of them things? You know, or uh, somebody was, we was talking this morning, I think me and Jeremy about uh, Lonesome Dove and they go into the town and uh, he says, try this, and he eats and says, what is it? And he's a grasshopper. He spits it out, you know, and uh, those were wild locusts. So, you know, here's the guy that, that God chose to go and preach the gospel. And when we read this passage of Scripture, people literally flooded out of the cities to hear John preach. I mean, they, they went out. I don't believe they came because of his great eloquence. He definitely didn't have that. He was, he was a wild looking man. He was out in the wilderness. He, he's preaching. He's wearing uh, these clothes that people wouldn't have been wearing those days. But the reason they came, listen, he offered hope. Remember 300 years, no prophet has spoken. What are the Jews looking for? They're looking for the Savior. They're looking for a message from God. But for 300 years, there's been no message. 
So all of a sudden there's one out in the wilderness uh, 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 20 or 30 miles from where they lived and they would, they would walk out to hear the message. And the message was the message of hope. It was a message of truth. It wasn't a message of condemnation, but it was a message of deliverance. Sometimes when you hear a preacher stand up and he talks about sin and he talks about the need for a Savior and he talks about repentance, people leave saying, you know what? Boy, that was a negative message this morning. <laughs> it dealt with sin. It dealt with repentance. And, and we need to realize a message like that is not one of condemnation. A message like it is a message of deliverance. It's a message of hope. It's a message for us to understand there's a truth. And that's what John's message was. And because of that, people came and they, they wanted to hear a hope. They wanted to hear truth. Today, there's not much difference, is there? Don't we still need a, a, a message of hope, a message of truth? And, and what his message was, listen to what it was. <coughs> it's much like we still preach today. It was a message of realizing their own sinfulness. It was a message that, that they need to realize the reality of their sin. And folks, today... People feel, feel the burden of sin still today. They, they feel that burden and, and modern man may deny that sin. They may deny the intellectually of sin, but you know what? Their hearts feel the weight of sin. And that's what John's message was. <coughs> when you think about sin, in essence, it's self-centeredness, isn't it? I want you to don't just pass by that, but I want you to think about that. What's the essence of sin? It's self-centeredness, isn't it? Because what is sin? It's things that we do because we think of ourselves, we love ourselves, we indulge ourselves, we look out for ourselves, we, we want to make sure no one takes advantage of who we are. So, so at the root of sin, sinfulness is ourself. And, and because of that sin, it produces guilt. That's the second part of John's message. It was, it was we need to realize there's a sinfulness and in sin in turn produces guilt. Uh, People are damaged because of what they feel. People feel guilty. You know, uh, even to bring this up, some people commit suicide over their guilt. I mean, they think about it and they, they, they begin to realize the, the weightiness of their guilt. But what do people do today? They go to a psychiatrist and what does a psychiatrist tell them? It's not really your fault. You were raised that way. It's the environment you lived in. It's how you grew up. It's how your parents treated you. It's how uh, your, your people around you were. And, and they try to lift that guilt and say, there's nothing, there's no reason for you to feel bad about that. When the truth is, they may leave with that I'm okay, you're okay attitude, but there's still guilt there. And when we look at these Jews, that's what they had. They, they understood their sinfulness. They understood the, the, the sin that turned into guilt. And the next step in that progression is guilt produces fear. And what fear had done, man, sinful man, it, 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 when he's filled with guilt, there, there comes a fear following that. And what does that fear people have today? They have a fear of death. They have a fear of dying. They have a fear of things that are, that are unknown. And John came and he said, hey, I'm, I'm going I'm to show you that there's, there's nothing to be afraid of even in death. There's, there's hope even in death, and that's why John came. And they came to John. Why? He had a message of hope. He had a message of truth. He had a message that, that the, the, the guilt would be lifted. We, we talk about, we sing songs about uh, our guilt taken away, our sin fetters broken away, and, and how that frees us up. That's what John's message was. 
And, and John came and said, with all of these things, with sinfulness, with guilt, with the fear, Jesus Christ is coming to solve the problem. He, he's coming with the answer. Listen to what it says here in verse uh, 7. It says, And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is much mightier than I, whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to stoop down and loosen. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That was John's message. It was a message of hope. It was a message of realizing our sinfulness, but it was a message of hope. That's what Christmas is, isn't it? It's a message of hope. It's a message of truth that we have a hope coming in the future. And later in Scripture, in John 21, it records that John the Baptist says, Behold... I just got this ideal of, of John's there and there's been so many come and hear him preach and he's become popular and people say, that's that John the Baptist guy over there and they're there and they're probably gathered around in a crowd and, and all of a sudden Jesus, John looks up and, and he says, behold, look, there he is. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, that's what John the Baptist came. He came to be the forerunner for Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he brought a message of truth and he brought a message of hope and he pointed people to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. That's what we're to do. That's our, that's our message today as the body of Christ. We're to point people to the Lamb of God and, and we're to show them the way. So John, was, uh, Jesus Christ was affirmed by man. Secondly, he was affirmed by God. And this is what it says in 9 through 11. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming out of the water, he saw heavens parting and the Holy Spirit descend upon him like a dove. And then he heard a voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's, that's the baptism of Jesus Christ. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He, he lived and, and worked in obscurity as a carpenter. For 30 years he was there. And, and Jesus announces the beginning of his ministry. And John the Baptist is there. And, and Jesus wasn't baptized for the redemption of sin. He wasn't baptized for repentance. He had no sins. He was, he was baptized in the acts of consecration. Jerry Vine says it was this way, God the Son came up out of the water. God the Holy Spirit descended out of the sky in the form of a dove. And God the Father spoke from heaven. And Jesus was acting out what he had come to do for this world. He was consecrating himself. He went into the water picturing his death. He went under the water picturing his burial. And he came out of the water picturing his resurrection. So Mark uses these verses to make a striking statement that, that Jesus, he has a special relationship with the Father. Jesus Christ is Messiah. And we see the picture there of Jesus Christ. It comes from Psalms 2-7, which God the Father is saying, This is my Son, whom I have, who, am I, who I have loved. Psalms 2, 7, you're my son, whom I love, who am I, who am I well pleased with? That's Isaiah 42, where God says, I'm, I'm pleased with you, my son. And going back to the prophecy, remember, he's proving who Jesus Christ is. He goes back to Isaiah 42, 1, it says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elected one. He recognizes that Jesus Christ is 
the Messiah through the authority of God's Word. Here's the last thing. I'm skipping around a little thing, but, but the last thing is this. Jesus is announced by man. He's affirmed by God the Father. Here's the third thing. Mark uses Satan to prove who God the Father is. So think about this. Immediately, Spirit drove him into the wilderness. This is as Jesus is starting his ministry. And immediately, Spirit drove him into the wilderness. This is 12 and 13 in Mark chapter 1. And there, was in the wilderness, he, there he was in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights, tempted by Satan, and, was, and with the wild beast and the angels ministered unto him. Well, we all know about the temptation of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ wasn't the Messiah, why would Satan have cared about him? Why would he have came and tempted him? I want us to look at three things, and we'll be through. I've got about eight minutes. The first, the temptation, and this is in Matthew chapter 4. If you want to turn over there to Matthew 4, Matthew chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 is where we're going to start. And, G- and the tempter came. Satan came to Jesus and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of the word of God. So I want you to think about this real quickly. Jesus has been in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. He has been fasting. He's not eating in 40 days and 40 nights. Satan comes and he says, if, if you really are who you say you are, command these stones to be bread. See, he appealed to what? Self-nature, didn't he? Jesus, you've got to be hungry and, and command these stones to become bread. Here's the thing. There's no law against that, is there? There's nothing that says that would have been a sin for Jesus to say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and change them to bread to show you I can do it. There, there would be, there's nowhere in Scripture that we see that, that it says, you know what? If you're really who you say you are, prove it. Jesus could have said, okay, I will prove it. I'm going to turn these to, to bread. But, but there's, no, there's no sin in that. But what Jesus recognized is he didn't want to get ahead of time of God's timing. He recognized that, that the temptation was there to prove his legitimacy in who he claimed to be in a miraculous way. And Satan says, you know what? I want you to do this on your own. Now think about this. When the devil comes and tempts us, what does he want us to do? He wants to get out ahead of God and do things on our own, doesn't he? He says, well, well, wait a minute. If it's really who you say you are, go ahead and do this. Get out. It doesn't matter if you're in the Father's will. Fulfill that, self, that self-nature. Fulfill what you need. Go ahead and step out on your own. So, so that was the problem. Here's the second temptation. Jesus quoted Scripture. He said, it is written. And he says, man doesn't live by bread alone, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Satan tempted Jesus. Jesus quoted Scripture. Look at the second temptation he did in Matthew 5 through 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple, and he said, if you really are the Son of God, throw yourself down, because listen to what Scripture says. That's what Satan did. He said, okay, you want to throw Scripture at me? Here's some Scripture back. He will command his angel concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you'll not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now here's the interesting thing. Satan left out one little part of that scripture. If you go over to Psalms 91, 11, and 12, he, the, the phrase that Satan left out is, is to keep 
thee in all my ways, in all God's ways. And what Satan did, he, he wanted Jesus to step outside of God's plan. And, and he said, I'm going to quote these scriptures, but he took scripture and he changed it just a little bit. Does people do that today? Don't, don't we do that? Don't we take God's word and we, we change it just a little to fit us? Or we change it just a little to fit the situation? So Satan took God's word and he, he quoted scripture out of the Old Testament. He left just a little bit out. And just a little doubt there. And he said, if you'll go ahead and do this, this will prove who you are. Now, what's the problem with that? What would be the problem if Jesus jumped from this 450-foot high place and just floated down to the ground? What would have happened? Well, people would have been amazed. People would have seen that and said, you know what? This, this has got to be the Messiah. But, but the problem with that is that wasn't God's timing. That was God's test. Because... Jesus knew that God had a plan. Jesus understood that God the Father had a plan for him. And he knew knew that he would fulfill these plans in what? In the cross, in the death, in the burial, in the resurrection. He knew he would fulfill God's plans through that. He didn't want to get out of God's timing. Here's the third temptation. And that's simply this, verses 8 through 10. Don't wait on God's plan. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdom of the world and their splendor. And he says, the devil says to to Christ, all of this I'll give to you if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You know what that temptation was? This is for you to answer. Who is the prince of this world? Satan is. In other words, Christ knew Satan was the prince of this world. So Satan said, Jesus, I'll make you a deal. I'll give you this world. It'll be yours. You don't have to go. You don't have to die. You don't have to be buried. You don't have to be resurrected. You don't have to do anything. I'm going to give you the world if you'll worship me. Just bow down and, and just worship me. No suffering, no struggle, no sacrifice, no cross. You know the problem with that? If, if Christ had said, you know what, I, I'll do it. I'll take the world. I'll be the king of this world. The problem would be, without that, there would be no forgiveness of sins. There would be no remission of sins. There would be no dying on the cross. There would be no suffering because Satan said, I'm willing to give up what I have if you'll just worship me. So as we see Satan come, he appeals to Christ three times. Through self-centeredness. If you'll do these things, look what you'll have. You'll have prosperity. Everybody will know who you are. Your hunger will be filled. And you can be the king of the world if you'll just follow me. But Christ realized there's a bigger plan, and that's redemption of the world. When we look at Scripture and we think about Jesus Christ, the Messiah... We see that man recognized him through the authority of God's word. We see God recognized Jesus Christ as his son, the Messiah. And we recognize even through Satan that he understood that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He was the Savior of the world, sent from heaven to bring redemption to his people. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning, as we've just flown through this time, Lord, I I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be giving us a spirit of understanding today. 
Lord, I pray that we would we realize that that birth in Bethlehem through your gospels over and over and over we see over 1500 years has been pointing up to your birth. And Father, these these presenter of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, they go back and they show where you have fulfilled these prophecies, even to the point of sending a preacher, John the Baptist, to prepare the way for you. Lord, I pray that today and this holiday season and this coming year and the years after, we'll have no doubt that you are truly the Messiah. You truly are the King of kings, the Lord of your... You truly are the one who rescues us and brings hope and brings truth. Lord, I pray today that you would take these words and just the foolishness that a man had to speak and you would bring them together. We know that you're not the author of confusion. Father, you would make straight in our minds, we'd have a great understanding of you and your purpose. Lord, I pray that we'd have a great understanding of this church and our purpose to to point to you and point the world to you as the Lord and Savior of the world. Not point them to this church, not point them to, to a preacher or a teacher or any other thing, but Father, just to say, look, there's Jesus Christ. I pray during this Christmas time, during this Christmas season, our actions would point others to you. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the opportunity we have to come and worship you. I think we have, thank you for having the opportunity to, to minister to one another in this place. And, Lord, I pray that we'd be about your business. I pray, Father, that we'd be, answer, we'd be able to answer this question today. Do I know who Christ is? Not only with a head knowledge, but inside my heart. Father, I pray today as we have a time of invitation, we would turn our eyes upon you, look full in your wonderful face, and the things of earth would go strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.